Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. I can't breathe the words of yet another dying black man who spoke while being pinned down by a police officer. The murder of George Floyd on May 25th sparked nationwide protests over police brutality and systemic racism. The first demonstrations began in Minneapolis where the murder took place. Soon, more cities across the country and around the world became the scene of peaceful and violent protests calling for racial justice. Many agree that Floyd's passing has highlighted the unequal treatment of Black Americans. Dr. Martin Luther King's son said on Twitter, someone had their foot on the neck of George Floyd and society has a foot on the neck of Black people. The cell phone footage of George Floyd's death shows how Black Americans live every day. It is a massive shakeup in the world for people to pay attention. Black people in the U.S. have been saying for over 400 years, this is what they are experiencing. As protests continue to sweep America, corporate America has joined protesters in condemning the death of George Floyd and have responded to calls for action to confront racial injustices and racial inequality in the U.S. PayPal joined the chorus that Black Lives Matter after one Black voice in the company spoke up and said, What are you going to do about this? We can't just sit back and be silent. This past week, PayPal announced a $530 million commitment to support Black businesses, strengthen minority communities, and fight economic inequality, according to a recent press release. Joining us today to talk about some of corporate America's response, talk about the responsibility corporations have to their black employees and to break down the $530 million pledge is Leisha Bell, a senior executive at Braintree, a PayPal company where she is the lead for the pay with Venmo product and is a current angel investor at Pipeline Angels. She is also the woman who's helping to lead the $530 million pledge within the company after she shared her frustrations and urged executives at PayPal to be more visible in the fight to end police brutality and systemic racism. Welcome to the show, Leisha. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Can you describe what has the past week's past two weeks have been like for you. And what I mean by that, the, a lot of Black people are angry, they're frustrated. 
we're in anguish. And the one thing I kept thinking over and over again as we were watching the images of George Floyd's death, the protests, um, the president, all I can think about is thank God that some Black people are able to be at home during this pandemic to deal with their emotions. Because I know I was heavy and I was having a hard time and I was with my mother and we were both just just glued to the television. So, I mean, what, what has it been like for you the past few weeks? Well, it's been hard. Um, you know, I am Black. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I have brothers. Um, you know, and to have this kind of repeat, repeat, repeat of death after death after death has been quite triggering. Um, and having to show up every day for work <laughs> uh, and still do my day job, um, you know, and, you know, within the work structure, you know, trying to support other black employees who are experiencing trauma during this time, right? So trying to, you know, keep the lights on for my day job while taking phone calls, emails, private chats, you know, Slack rooms about what's going on and trying to balance all of it together has been quite difficult. Did it empower you to speak up at work after seeing all these images or have you always been this way? Yeah, so I would note, um, I've always been this way. Um, in my first job out um, at a big bank, I led the black employee group in the midst of the subprime lending crisis, uh, where I had direct talks with the CEO about how we need to make this right for black people and communities. So uh, I have been an advocate for a long time. I am relatively new to PayPal. I've been there for one year. But within that year, I have stepped up as a leader of our San Francisco uh, what we call amplifies our black employee group at PayPal. And I've started to, I planted the seed with our executive leadership team about, you know, diversity initiatives, diversity progress. Um, so I felt very empowered when all this was going on to be that voice um, and, and start that, start the cause. That's great. I know uh, Christina Aurelia and I have been talking um, a lot this past week, and I'm sure they would like to add some of, some of their thoughts to this discussion. Alicia, thank you so much for being here with us and under such circumstances. Well, I also want to uh, note that you are a pipeline angel, a fellow pipeline angel with uh, Aurelia and I. But we've all been watching the statements and suggestions and solidarity of corporations yeah. that are now kind of, you know, taking a stand. I, I'm curious, yeah. just, you know, as a executive with PayPal, as a mother, as a consumer, what, what true responsibilities do you think corporations have during this time? Um, I think one, the responsibility is great. And I want to specifically talk about the tech industry, mm -hmm. uh, which is where I've spent most of my career. Um, the tech industry generates significant wealth, significant wealth. It is a leading industry, leading of innovation. Um, and, you know, as a black person in tech who holds the jobs of the future, <laughs> um, I do feel that we have to um, be bold and courageous in our walk. Um, black people are less than 1% in tech. I mean, we, we will be left behind in this entire industry. So, you know, not only does every corporation, every industry need to have some moral and ethical ethos, 
um, the people who hold future employment and future innovation have significant responsibility in, in this race. Yeah, as, a, as another fellow black woman in tech, I, I completely understand. I'm, it's interesting. I've, I've had conversations this week with um, women who want to leave their corporate jobs. They're just feeling a lot of pressure. Um, their bosses, mm. their colleagues are leaning on them really heavy to educate yeah. and, and to talk. And right. many of them actually are thinking about jumping into entrepreneurship. And for a few of them, I said, you know, now is not the time to jump into entrepreneurship. You know, it's, it's really time to continue building your wealth. And I understand, you know, what you're going through. It, but that leads me to a question around just the diversity commitment. Um, and we'll talk specifically about right. PayPal. Right. Um, you know, you know, was the diversity commitment of PayPal part of why you went there? Um, no, um, it was not my leading uh, driver for going to PayPal. Um, I am a digital money movement payments professional. And so my leading driver was I wanted to work for a, a payment company, specifically uh, work, work on Venmo. That was a, a kind of a dream job for me. So that's why I went there. But prior to PayPal, I worked at various startups where I had no community. And so I knew PayPal would bring me more back into a more mature corporate structure mm -hmm. that could support diversity. So I, I do think while it was not the leading uh, driver, I knew it would be a better environment um, than the startups I had been at previously. That's amazing, Leisha. Um, and as you know, somebody, you know, to Christine's point, you know, the last corporate job I had, I left after the Philando Castile shooting because the company I worked for got a contract at NRA. I couldn't do that anymore. And that led me to the position I have now where I work for the state of Maryland and I was able to help start the first state back pre-seed fund specifically for women in minority wow. companies, right? And so I commend right. you on what you're doing in, in the work. But can you tell us, you know, what is it, what, what exactly is your role at, at PayPal under Braintree and why was it that the corporation listened to you when you were making suggestions about how the brand should plan to address these issues? Yeah, um, so I'll orient people to the PayPal families. Um, most people may have heard of Braintree. So Braintree is a payment processing company that powers large mobile enterprises and general enterprises. So if you think of Uber, for example, or, you know, a lot of your mobile apps, um, we are behind empowering their payment system. Um, a few years ago, Braintree bought a company called Venmo. That was a small company at the time, but now Venmo is a leader in P2P payments with over 45 million customers. And a few years ago, PayPal bought us all. <laughs> so that's kind of how we fit into the PayPal ecosystem today. Um, what do I do there? Um, so I am behind what I call pay with Venmo. So most people know Venmo is a, a social payment tool, send money to your friends, but did you know that you can also make purchases at Uber with Venmo, for example? Um, so I power the commerce side of Venmo where we leverage Venmo to interact with our merchants. And so we think that's a really huge opportunity that we can uh, grow and scale. And that's what I focus on. Awesome. So, so then what was it about you and your position where when you spoke up, the organization listened to some of your suggestions? Yeah. So I think um, 
you know, I walked into uh, Braintree um, and was easily the top, one of the top black person at the company. <laughs> um, and so that's how I honestly have been in my last few jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I run everything or I'm the most important person in the company. It's just um, there's a lot of people that have lower job titles than I that look like me. And, um, you know, so I, I personally felt compelled um, when I knew I was being called on to answer questions about the black community or about women or, um, you know, when I would voice my concerns about things that I was seeing, that I was seeing and observing. Um, and so, um, you know, within the company, we have call centers and my heart is always for the people at the bottom mm-hmm. and support and call centers are where most black and brown people sit in organizations. Just so you know, when they give tech numbers, that's the numbers that's pushing that up. Um, and so I, you know, for us, our team is headquartered in Chicago, a very black city, um, with lots of representation there. And, um, they are an amazing group of people. I call them the black, the woke black millennials. Uh, they are on it. They, they know who they are, where they come from. And, um, but they need representation. They mm-hmm. need people to speak for them, to help advocate for them and their stories. And I've spent, uh, a lot of time in Chicago, uh, working with that group and talking with that group. And because of my privilege of my role, right, the privilege of my skill set, um, I can be a more vocal voice to executives that they can't. I sit in the headquarters city, you know, they don't. So, you know, all these things are my privilege and access. And I felt um, rooted in that I could speak, right? And, um, you know, to give credit to, to Braintree, they're a company that values diversity. They openly talk about diversity numbers. They um, uh, have been supporting like Afrotech. You know, they we own the shirt that says make tech more black. I mean, that's our trademark. And, you know, I felt that I would be supported if I talked about inequities. And, and that's, that's what I did. That's amazing. And I want to follow up on that. You know, a lot of us work in corporate spaces in work jobs where they're not as diverse as our communities. Yeah. What was that like for you as one of the highest ranking black, let alone black women in your organization to take on that weight and kind of put, take mm. that, that con- push that conversation forward. Like for you, what was that like? There, I know a lot of people, myself included, where when these moments come up, we feel this weight and we're not always yeah. sure how to act or don't always have the courage to, and are always fearful about if we were to act, things would happen. But you know, we yeah. were seeing the power, what happens when you do act that, you know, we recently saw that the NFL, the players got together and put out this video calling out, right. you know, the NFL's office. And we come to find out the backstory was, it was just, an, it was a group of employees who said something needed to be done in the background. And they did it right. with the players without the consent of the NFL. You know, for those individuals who had the courage to do that, they had to think their jobs were on the line if they spoke up. So even for you, like, right. while you are right. rooted in your position, what was that like for you? What was that decision like? What was that feeling like? And what advice would you give the people in that situation? Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for that question, because I've gotten a lot of phone calls about that exact topic, or people are afraid to speak up. 
And um, people are very fearful because, you know, um, you, you could lose your job. You absolutely could lose your job for or for speaking up, for being a whistleblower. You know, things we don't have the protections that other people have, and um, it is a real fear and it's a a real risk. Um, you know, but um, you know, for me, you know, at one point um, when I was working for a company that was involved in subprime lending, I couldn't sleep at night. I literally couldn't sleep that night. And um, it just messed with my consciousness so much um, that I had to kind of free myself of that. And I think um, the power of speaking up is, you know, maybe they won't hear everything you say, but they'll hear a little bit of it. They'll, they'll know where you stand, you know? And I think part of what this walk is, is letting people know where you stand. You know, I will call out, uh, you know, and just in a meeting, you know, I will speak up and I will speak out. Um, so people don't treat you just like any old body, you know? So I think you have to um, have a bar and let people know where your bar is. Um, you know, I also think if you say nothing and no one says nothing, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely nothing will happen. If people aren't agitating, um, if people people will assume everything's okay. And we know these are issues that people love to put under the table and, and, you know, dismiss them. You know, if we, if people don't know, Hey, actually this is a problem, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I want to tell you how I did it because I, I do think it's helpful for people have frameworks. Um, So what I did, um, my CEO put a post on Instagram uh, where he was doing a cartwheel and um, talking about, you know, it's hard times, but, you know, he's found his, his joy. He's like a big karate dude. So he was like demonstrating his fancy moves, uh, which would have been fine at a standalone time and another day in another moment. Um, but this was in a time where not only do we have Corona, but we have these series of black people dying to the hands of police brutality. Uh, and so when I saw this post, uh, it inspired me to write. So my way of release is writing. So I wrote an article on LinkedIn called White Joy in the Midst of Black Rage because I was noticing that there's a group of people who were having time in their lives and a group of people who were suffering and sorrowful. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really bothersome to me. So I took that post, I took a screenshot, and I wrote a letter to my, my GM. And I said, you know... Um, I just want to let you know what's going on in black America because my GM is not black, you know, um, she doesn't know what's going on. So I sent her the stories about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, Amy Cooper. Uh, and I told her sentiment. I sent her screenshots of conversations I was having with employees. You know, I don't feel like working today. I don't think I can take it anymore. Mm. And then I sent her a screenshot of our CEO doing cartwheels. And I said, this is a time for you to act. This is a time where you can make a, you can use your voice and use your power to represent who we are and what we're about and where we stand. And here's some articles and resources for you to help educate uh, your stance. And I'm happy to support you in any way with any communications. And I sent that note off. And, um, you know, she received it. She put out an immediate statement, which people really appreciated. And she led the way. Yeah. And, um, 
I think we have to give people some grace that they're not walking in our shoes every day. <laughs> you know, most people aren't carrying this weight all the time. And, you know, enlightenment education and like being a support person in that um, is, is really helpful. So that's how it kickstarted. Leisha, I think that is so powerful. And it's the reason why we tell people you can't be silent, right? If you have a voice, if you're able to use it, right. to use it. And while we've seen a lot of corporations vocal and again, kind of standing in solidarity with the black community, there are some companies who have chosen to stay quiet. What, what message yeah. do you think that sends? And for black employees who might work for companies that have been silent and those companies, you know, don't have leadership like you or black leadership that they can turn to and talk to, which I think is hugely important. What, what uh, message or how, how would you encourage those, yeah. um, you know, black employees at those companies? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, if you have choice to choose who your employee is, choose wisely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people are showing who they are. We saw who Starbucks was, you know, if you didn't know before, <laughs> now, you know, was, you know, don't wear Black Lives Matter is here. Um, you know, I think people are showing their true colors and it's people who are scared to take a stand because they have stakeholders who aren't for you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why. And I think that um, people should really look at who they work for and their reputation and where they stand, because if they're not supporting you today, you know, it's not going to change, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not going to evolve. Um, if they're scared now, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the future, um, you know, or, you know, be that voice and be that change, you know, um, there's always an opportunity to speak and see what happens, you know, <laughs> uh, something might change just a little bit or might give you a little hope that someone is hearing. You know, you can't change everybody in the entire organization, but there may be a few people who are willing to listen and willing to be an ally, willing to be a sponsor, um, you know, and it could be something small. So I used to run the employment applications and we did not capitalize the being black and it made me really upset. And I said, you know what? We need to capitalize a B for black people because this is important. Mm-hmm. And we got that change. And mind you, that was a little thing, but it meant a lot to me and to people who, when they see black, they want a capital B. <laughs> and I think those are little things and little ways to say that I exist and I matter, that I want to be represented in a meaningful way. Lisa, I, I just want to commend you for what you have done and continue to do, because I really appreciate what you were saying about you've been laying the framework before now, right? This wasn't the first time that you spoke out. It definitely wasn't the first time you were reaching out to people who are in positions that are not at your level at the company. And it's not the first time that you've kind of built those relationships within the company itself. So I think all of those things are really important because while we want people to speak up, it's also hard to tell black professionals, well, put your livelihood on the line now, right? It's just a, it's a, there's so many complexities to that. So I appreciate you also saying, if you have a choice in where you work, you know, think about what (laughs) that choice means, right? Um, Right. But why do you believe it took George Floyd's murder for some corporations to speak up? I mean, George Floyd's yeah. murder was not the first murder of an innocent right. black citizen by police. There have been many others, right. Breonna Taylor, Eric Gardner, Philando Castile, I mean, many, many others. 
and they've been recorded. We're not, we're also not talking about the, you know, vast majority of other murders who have not been recorded, but have happened. So do you have an idea about why now? What's, what made George Floyd's murder different? What caused the tipping point? You know, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, I know uh, black people who see this and hear this all the time are saying this is just another one of thousands and hundreds of thousands. Um, you know, but I think in the midst of COVID, we've had a time to be still and to process. And I think the stillness of this time has really garnered and allowed people to focus. And because George Floyd happened in this series of events, right? I think kind of think about the movement that was happening, the people who had to die before George Floyd, so George Floyd could be a catalyst for the movement, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Put him at, at in such a clear, visible case. And because of, of the recording and because of, of Let's thank Black Twitter and social media and how it got amplified into the news cycle so rapidly um, that I think you just couldn't ignore it. It's like, okay, we, we, we can't continue to act like this is just a one-off incident. Um, you know, and I myself have not watched the George Floyd video because I, I can't personally take it. Um, but I think the people who have have also all been traumatized you know, black, white, yellow, green, et cetera. Uh, and so now we have uh, a group of people that's not black marching for us. And, you know, that's, that's empowering. And I think once white silence was uh, ejected as that's not a novel idea, then um, I think everybody else like, oh, okay, this is a cause we can all stand for and, you know, be safe in our stance because this is the right thing to do now. I think you kind of have this mass movement, critical mass, where it's like, well, all my friends are talking about it now. I guess it's okay to, to break my silence on this topic. Um, so I think it was just like a perfect storm. Lisa, one thing I thought about when, um, right, right before everything erupted, um, the Amy Cooper, the video that, um, <laughs> that was released by, I think that was his niece who released that video. Um, and to see that happen with um, a white woman pretty much threatening a black man because she was doing something wrong, I'm going to call the police and that an African-American man is threatening me. And then when George yeah. Floyd happened, I looked at my mom and I said to her, I said, something's getting ready to blow. Black people have been at home. We've had time to think. <laughs> we have had time. To, we're frustrated. We're ready to get out the house. And we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I agree with you. It, I mean, Zia, sorry to interrupt, but if you look at what happened to Amy, we ain't never seen a white woman lose her job. I mean, this is like never happened. I mean, and she lost her dog. I mean, like... You know, for freaking Templeton to make that announcement that they are firing her. Right. I mean, we've never seen this before. We, we you know, white women are the most protected in our society. Uh-huh. And when that happened, I said, this is a new day. This is a new day. 
Yeah. And they made, and you know, New York wants to pass that new law, the Amy Cooper law, right? That makes it, you can't, you know, call 911 under those type of uh, racial aggressions. That's great. Which, you know, That's I think, great. I think you're right. It's, you know, it, it, COVID, everything culminating at one time. I think also for me, I did watch the video and I've watched it over and over. I just, you know, him calling out his mom. I think it was a wake up call mm. for anyone who's a mother, right? It, you, you, it just, it was so painful. And the other piece of it, I think with, you know, we've had so many countless unnecessary deaths to gun violence and to guns. In this case, this guy used his knee. He used his body as a weapon. And I think that mm. to murder someone mm. with your body was really right. the thing that tipped off a lot of us. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So let's lighten the mood, though. So we've got, <laughs> we've got some, uh, some amazing corporations that are, you know, not just making statements, but they're moving money in a way that they haven't before. And yeah. I, I yeah. would love to get into what PayPal is doing and how you talked about how you kind of nudged and pushed um, for your CEO to speak up and tell us how the pledge came about. Yeah. So I'm going to give you guys a timeline of events. I know journalists love these things um, because I want to tell you what happened in two weeks, literally. Um, So on May 27th, uh, our CEO made the post of, where he was doing a carnival on the street. Uh, May 29th, I sent my letter out. On May 31st, we had a new updated response about equality on all social media platforms. On June 2nd, we had an all-black town hall with our CEO where we had a very open and honest conversation Mm. about race and the impact um, to uh, our company and how we're feeling. Um, by June 4th, we had a company-wide email announcing the $500,000 uh, commitment to uh, nonprofits. On June 8th, we announced we had a new global head of diversity. Let's welcome Kim jenkins to PayPal Company. Her first day was June 8th. Wow. We also announced on June 8th that we had a new executive sponsor of the Black Employee Group. Her name is Peggy Alford. She's a boss. Uh, she's not only executive of PayPal, she's also on the board for Facebook. <laughs> on June 10th, there was another announcement about a $530 million commitment to supporting Black business. So I give you that perspective to say how much shifted in two weeks. We went from 500,000 to 500 million. Mm. And that's amazing. It's, you know, and it is not just me. There was a group of people inside the company and I'm sure there were people outside the company as well, but um, who said, this is actually really serious. This is really important and we need to do something and we need to do it better. And th- this was an iteration. You see the progress over two weeks. Um, and so when they made this announcement, um, every black employee was floored in this entire company. Is it what? What? I mean, you can hear a man shouts emojis. I mean, we, we, wow. You know, we ain't never seen nothing like this. Thank you. Right. Um, and because people were, the movement gained so much weight in such a short amount of time. Um, 
you know, I, that, that's powerful. So I just wanted to give you guys that context of what happened um, in two weeks within our company. And that um, change, is, change was rapid, very rapid. Well, and I think that one of the really important things that that story says is, is two things to me, at least. One, that it might take a lot to get there, but once you get there, there can be big changes that happen. And number two, that it wasn't just money being given out, but there were structural changes that were committed to for from inside the company, which I think is really important as well. Exactly. And so why don't we jump in, if you can break down the numbers, because the one thing I do appreciate about what PayPal, what you're, what the company is doing, it's focusing externally and also internally. Um, I think that that's a big, big step. Um, I know a lot of companies are outwardly focused right now and their employees are suffering, right? And so, you know, I'd like right. the fact that PayPal is looking externally and internally. Do you want to break down how that $530 yeah. million is going to be distributed? Yeah, and I love saying $530 million every time. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's break it down. So uh, we announced a $10 million empowerment grant to black businesses. So that's what we launched this week. Um, $10 million, each, each awardee will get up to $10,000. Um, this is administered with our partner, American Enterprise um, for Opportunity. Uh, so that's to support black businesses who have been directly impacted by COVID and civil unrest. Okay, so this is just, this is like a sustainment. Like we just want mm -hmm. you to make it. <laughs> we want to come out of this and you still be in business. Uh, so that, that's the focus of that $10 million what we're calling empowerment grant. Um, we have a $5 million fund for nonprofits and employee matching gifts. Um, so you might know Walker's Legacy. Uh, it's um, a lot of amazing nonprofits that are uh, supporting black civil rights, black empowerment, that we have um, developed this fund for them. 15 million, get my numbers right, um, is about the internal commitment. And so this is about supporting diversity and inclusion. This is about also supplier diversity. This is about supporting black employee wellness. This is about career development. This is about sustaining the people in this organization. And I was very, very excited that this was part of the focus, right? Because so often, you know, uh, there's a lot of pressure to externally support, um, and we ignore the people inside who are holding the fort down. And so this was a critical part of the component, and I'm, I'm very happy about it. So we have a new chief diversity officer, and she's coming in with a larger budget than she would have had if she had this job last month. And so we're happy about that. Uh, the biggest opportunity is a $500 million. Uh, and this is a commitment to what I call the, the black future. So essentially it's a commitment to venture capital. It's a commitment to our growing buddy startup, budding startup communities so that they can have an infusion of funds to innovate and build and create. Um, we know what entrepreneurship does for, um, for wealth creation, 
Um, and we know we need capital to get there. And so that's why I'm proud that this is the largest chunk of money because um, we will invest in black startups that are building out new and innovative technologies. And I am really excited that I'm proud of all 530 million of it. Uh, and I'm glad that it hits so many different angles and focus. And so a little bit on that last point, you know, talking about the tech businesses, you know, as that's what all of us on this podcast, you know, kind of do and support and invest in. Um, talk to me a little about a little bit about what you have to say to people who are skeptical about such a big announcement, right? Like, uh, you know, what would you have to say to them and kind of what's the timeline to start deploying some of that 500 million? Because to be quite frank here in Baltimore, after the Freddie Gray rise happened, we had a whole lot of people making announcements about wanting to put a lot of money into the community. But a lot of this, some of that stuff didn't actually come to fruition. So what do you say to folks in black communities who are skeptical about these things and what kind of timeline do you think there'll be for this stuff to start moving so that, you know, people understand that there's some accountability here? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, there's a few things. Um, so one, we've already dispersed funds to nonprofits. That's already in the, in the works. Um, what I am actively doing right now is reviewing or working on reviewing all these applications that have been submitted to us. Um, and our goal is to be transparent along this long process. So I have made public announcements on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I was I was production support. Oh, someone with an application call me. So my charge was to lead the applicant experience. So I don't think we talked about that, but um, essentially, you know, because of what I believe is my agitation, you know, they would say, "Hey, Lisa, you probably should join this task force, right? You probably should uh, help us out over here." And that's how I got involved. So uh, I am leading the applicant experience because I want black people to come through our process and feel trusted. So we had, um, you know, people were concerned about background check because we know background checks disparately impact the black community, credit checks, criminal checks, and we are not requiring that kind of check, you know? Um, and I think we just, we're answering those questions um, as we get them, we're adding clarity. I am managing the FAQs myself. Um, you know, and that's what we're focused on. Our next phase will be the venture phase. So um, we're still figuring out what that's going to look like. If you go to the PayPal newsroom where we announced it, there's a form you can go today to have your information submitted. And we'll be tracking that for when we launch that program. Um, so I, I think, you know, we want you, the public, to hold us accountable. There are people inside the company, such as myself and many others, who are going to hold us accountable to what we say, um, because you know this is one of the largest investments we've seen, uh, and we want to be a leader. We, you know, we want to be known for people who, you know, not only talk about it but be about it <laughs> uh, in the black vernacular. So, um, you know, that's what we want. You know. Um, to be held accountable, to keep the pressure on us, you know, like keep, keep letting us know, right? Because that's going to keep elevating the cause, right? We, we got so many applications. When I say overwhelmed is an understatement um, because there's such a great need. There's such a great need for capital, such a great need for investment. Um, and that message has gone back to our CEO, 
you know, and we're calling on other leaders, companies, investors. Can you join us? Can you help us? Because we need more money. It's not enough. <laughs> and we are aware of that. And so to follow up on that, you know, as, you know, someone who invests in this community, when we, and this is, you know, really talking from a venture standpoint, we understand that in, in the structure of, of venture, the larger a fund is, the larger a check size has to be, right? Which means the later stage a company has to be. But what we've seen here on the ground is there a vast, I'm going to say a vast majority, but a large portion of Black-owned startups are at the earliest stages of their businesses or at the seed, pre-seed you know, level, you know, once you start to get the series A and above, you know, you start to see a significant drop off. So how do you think about making sure that even though you're talking about deploying a large amount of capital, that you're having access for those at the earliest stages? Because people talk about the pipeline issue all the time. It's not really a pipeline. It's more of a funnel. So a lot of people at the top of the funnel with amazing ideas who don't have right. access to friends and family capital or access to capital, period, to start moving through. So how do you think about that? Being a pipeline angel who sees companies really right. early and, and takes a, a leap of faith sometimes with some of the companies or, or really has a, a way to evaluate companies earlier than, you know, VCs who come from these larger funds. How do you think about that? I think that's a great comment. And um, I know from switching hats to my pipeline hat um, that that infusion of early capital is critical. And, you know, we're going to need to do some work before we get PayPal ready, right? You know, before we stand this up to venture and we need to help people get there. And I think that's great feedback for myself and for others who can influence how one, the steering committee is going to be shaped, what the criteria for capital, who's going to um, be qualified to run these funds, manage these funds, who are we going to partner with? Um, I do think to reach a lot of where our black entrepreneurs are, we're going to have to go in earlier uh, and help them get there. Um, So I think that's great input into how we built this, this program. Uh, and I'll definitely take that back. And I know that Mac would probably say there's a lot of opportunities for technical assistance there too, right? So for a company like PayPal or Braintree or Venmo who have some of that experience, there's probably other kinds of support that might be available for them as well. Yeah, I'm sure absolutely. you guys are thinking so, about all that. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we speak, I'm working on what kind of support can we provide these small businesses? And so, for example, a lot of debate was if we would require PayPal accounts, you know, and how would that look if we require people to have a PayPal account? You know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like black people need to get into digital innovation. Like we need to get into digital money, you know, and, you know, it's not a bad thing to require you to get into digital money movement. Um, We have to help our community progress. You know, essentially when COVID happened, and you couldn't give people cash and you couldn't see people like the digital innovation the digital movement is here. Mm-hmm. You don't want to touch dirty money. Like and, you know, I helped a lot of people install Venmo and PayPal over COVID. Right. Like I personally was like, okay, mom, it's time, you know, grandpa. Okay. Right. Because we have to help people get there. And, you know, I am, 
I am for meeting people where they are, but I'm also about progressing. And, you know, part of what we can do as a company, we, we have several different payment ecosystems um, that we can leverage. We have payment expertise. We move money all the time. We can help these businesses with the, um, their strategies. And I think that is part of our responsibility to, to do that, you know, because, you know, most businesses have to move money somehow. Some way, uh, and we can be a critical part of yeah. that. Yeah, I have a question, Leisha, just on the five hundred million, the investment, kind of to where Mac was was getting to, as well. So, are you also working with diverse fund managers who may have funds that are also uh, investing in um, black businesses? Is that part of the strategy and how? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's still being baked. I'll tell you what I know. What I know is that um, we are going to partner, be a limited partner on funds that are directly dedicated to black funds. Um, We also will partner with CDFIs, the people who are investing in the community. Um, So I think we're open to what that looks like, but the commitment has to be there and proven already. You know, Um, so we have to see who your demographic is, who your segment is. Um, you know, we're definitely going to pull in some black people in VC, black people who have funds, um, you know, those groups. And we know there's people who are already doing this, um, you know, partner with them so that we're explicit. I think that's going to be the most important thing because, you know, right now the community is demanding that you focus on us. We want you to focus on black people. We don't want to be buried in other causes. We want this to be for us. So I do think we can look at all the ways and all the people who invest in our community uh, to make sure they're, they're amplified as part of this process. Well, just know we at the Marathon Fund that's based in D.C. and looking at the Mid-Atlantic would be happy to partner and work with you as you guys bake this out a bit more. That's great. I think there's so many really cool things going on that you guys are thinking and talking and working, talking about and working on. I don't want us to overlook what you had said earlier about that part of this initiative and part of the money is intended to support black employees. And from my standpoint, I think that's so important because like you said, we lack black leadership in the, at the senior levels in most tech companies, right? That and so, you right. know, and you spoke about earlier the distinct, you know, honor, but also the problem with the lack of those voices. What what does that look like inside of PayPal? What kind of, and again, it might be under development, but what kind of support are we looking at for yeah. Black employees who want to, you know, maybe move into higher echelons or even just move up from where they are? What What kinds of things are you working on? Yeah, so I will tell you that a group of black employees uh, put together a list of demands. And so this is what we need to be successful here. This is what we need to feel heard. Um, and as, as a result, there is a five-point thrust committee that is focused on these things. So one of them is employee wellness. Um, you know, can I just take a day to recover? Can I take a mental day? I, let me tell you guys. For the first time ever, we are getting Juneteenth off. Like, Friday, next Friday, I do not have to work. Uh, and I have a Juneteenth baby, so I'm really happy about that. But I'm like, wow. I mean, I was fighting to get – I didn't even get MLK Day off in my last job. 
But I'm like, I'm getting Juneteenth off now. This is amazing, right? So um, that's exciting, right? Like we, we need some time, we need to recover, and we need to have the space and a vehicle to do that where we can keep our jobs, right? We, we need our jobs, <laughs> you know? Um, so that was one thing. Employee wellness is a pillar, career development. You know, what kind of specific training do we need? And what kind of training do our executive leadership and people in power need about diversity and an unconscious bias and conscious bias and all those things and all those toolkits? You know, how do we give people a framework to work with us? You know, how do we open that conversation? How do we have um, clear expectations? You know, we... We are a company like most companies who have, you know, people are call centers and then we have these tech jobs that are reserved for engineers. You know, can I go to a boot camp and get one of these, you know, lower level support jobs and in, in tech ops? You know, how do we create those pipelines for people to get there? Right? Everybody can't go to this four year school or everybody can't do this and like how do we have alternate ways for people to get to expand their career and that be meaningful for them. Uh, so that's some of the things that we're looking at. Um, you know, also looking at our benefits package, mental health, do we have enough people of color in the pack? You know, like all these little things matter. Can I get a black therapist? Is like a top question that we've been asking. Hmm. You know, is it covered? I mean, things like that are, are important, <laughs> you know? And so we're, we're, we're looking at all these different elements and how it builds into us showing up at work every day. You know, we, we now have on Venmo, we have a emoji for black lives matter. We work to put that there because we want to be represented in our products. You know, things like that are important. That is so innovative. And I'm wondering how many other companies are doing something similar. Um, that you're doing. And um, one of my questions and going back to the fund for um, the 10 million, 10 million empowerment grant fund uh, for the black businesses. I know that link was passed around to several, several black entrepreneurs <laughs> because I got yeah. it at least five or six times. I'm like, I know about this. I know about this. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many applications have come in and will you be able to, yeah. you know, sustain yeah. it? You know? Yeah. Listen, you guys are getting exclusive. This is like hitting, uh, right now, I think Connie is speaking on MSNBC about this. Um, Bloomberg is getting some talking points. So you guys are getting exclusive. You know, my people right here. I want to tell you guys, we launched this application Thursday, 6, the announcement went out Thursday at 6 a.m., Eastern time. The applications went live at 11 a.m. Thursday, Eastern time. By Friday morning, we had an emergency meeting. We have to shut this down. We had over 15,000 applications. Not only did we have 15,000 completed submitted applications, wow. we had 7,000 in queue. Wow. When you shut it down, you had 7,000 in queue? It is being shut down as we speak. It's shutting down at noon uh, Eastern. So it's noon Pacific. So it's already shut down. It got shut down at noon Eastern today. Mm. We plan to run this program for a few months. 
Wow. Um, wow. I saw that day. I saw that day. <laughs> August, August 11th was the deadline. I saw that. Well, that shows the need, right? The, there are businesses that absolutely need the support. Absolutely need it. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so I mean that's it's a it's a good problem to have. Uh, it's unfortunate, extremely. Unfor- I mean, we. I mean, everybody was like, "Oh my god, oh my god," um, right? Um, the need is so great, and and that you know that we're all scrambling. Like, what do we do now? How do we find more money? Who are we going to get it from? How we're gonna, you know, how are we going to determine the most the most impactful businesses. Yeah, I was wondering. You know, all that. I mean, I have a meeting tomorrow to talk about this, right? Um, It's going to be very, very difficult. How do you value a um, cosmetologist? How do you value an incubator? How do you value, I mean, you think about all the roles that we have and how we play and who's it is it is daunting it is daunting you know do we do we do we uh think about zip codes do we think about mm, you know a- as, as a california as a california black you know i'm envious of the east coast and where in the south where there's more representation and i i want i want california to have representation you're right yeah you know, so it's like how do you value you know, across geographies, cities most impacted, people most impacted, communities most impacted, whose business is vital. I mean, we've had, you know, an industry of cosmetology that's got no income for three months. And we know, thanks to Madam C.J. Walker, that that's the number one entrepreneurship role for black women. And we know that they have been deeply impacted by this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are really hard questions. I can't lie to you and say I have answers to it. I just want to um, share, you know, what what we're what, a little bit about what what we're seeing and, and the challenges that we are facing um, as we kind of tackle this. So, let me tell you about the top industries: personal care and services, hair salons, gyms, childcare. Top. Number two, professional services, legal marketing. Number three, retail. Number four, entertainment, arts, food, beverage, and education. Top cities, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Houston, NYC. We had a request for $60 million. We have a bucket of tips. Wow. Wow. (laughs) A little over a 24-hour period in less than two full business days. That's amazing. You said, the t- you said the top cities were Philly, Atlanta, Houston, and New York? Yep. And they're, they're, uh, I'm also the board chair for Black Girl Ventures, so two of those cities are um, chapter cities for Black Girl Ventures. I, I, I heard you mention Walker's Legacy earlier. <clears throat> I think utilizing some of those organizations that are also supporting mm-hmm. on the floor or on the ground level and working directly with the uh, entrepreneurs would be great. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is a good, this is a good challenge to have. I, you know, I'd love, you know, once you guys go through the process to actually have you back to learn how you actually approach it, if that's something you guys would be willing to share. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's in our purview, PayPal's purview. We are a company that supports small business. Um, most of our companies, most of our merchants and customers are small businesses <laughs> that use PayPal. So I, I, I want people to know that this is in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. This, this is what we do, you know, and I think um, people, when you're in, in your entities, you have to think about what can I, what can my company actively drive and shape, right? I can't tell you that PayPal can change police brutality. I can't say that. But I can say we support small business and this is how we got to do it. You know, we power large enterprise. This is how we do it. You know, there are things that are specifically in our wheelhouse to do and, you know, that we can be accountable for. And so that's what I want to kind of encourage people to focus on, like what's in your wheelhouse, putting a black emoji on Venmo is in our wheelhouse. Right. You know, <laughs> those think about those things in your products and services that's in your wheelhouse that you can directly impact. Well, I have to say, this has been a very good discussion and um, I'm still speechless about the number of people who apply for this empowerment grant. And, um, we're going to, I'm going to turn it over to Mac as Mac has a great story that he wants to share before we wrap things up. I kind of, I gave a little bit of it earlier, but I'll go in a little bit more detail. And this is to speak to, you know, the black employees who don't know what to do or are, are feeling the struggles of being sometimes in corporate you know, offices and situations where you feel really uncomfortable. I've actually had several young people reach out to me and several entrepreneurs or people who are thinking about becoming entrepreneurs because of, you know, what they're going through right now and asking me, you know, what they should do. And I'm always conflicted about it because I understand the risk that you could take by speaking out and, you know, how that can be perceived. But to, to give more color about the, the, the incident I talked about earlier, on July 5th, 2016, Alton Sterling was killed. On July 6th, Philando Castillo was shot and killed in his car for letting a police officer know he had a legal firearm. At the time, I was working at a marketing firm and we, we specialized in building e-commerce websites and I had a huge list of things to do. And I remember being at work unable to write any code, unable to do anything because I was just so upset. And to realize that nobody around me, because I was the only black person who worked at the firm at the time, could even remotely sympathize with what I was feeling. And it all happened around the same time we had gotten a contract with the National Rifle Association, who had historically not come forward to help defend black people's rights to legally carry firearms. And so the day they announced that we actually got a con, we had won the contract with them, which was a Friday. And so that same day, I handed in my two weeks' notice without any plan or not knowing what I was going to do next. Um, and it just so happened that the very next Monday, I saw this email for the organization I work at now, TEDCO, the Maryland Technology Development Corporation, looking for a new fund manager. I didn't have a finance background. Um, I was a software engineer turned two-time startup CEO before an exit. It wasn't a large exit, but it was an exit, right? So I, I knew the startup community. I'd been in the startup community. I felt like I had the confidence to do this. Um, and so I applied. Uh, we went through the, I went through the process, it took me four months, and they eventually hired me, not for the position I applied for, because they said I didn't have the experience, but they literally created a new position to get me on the staff. 
well, the thing about that was it got me my entry point into investing in venture capital. And I realized it was my dream job, getting to help entrepreneurs, support entrepreneurs. But then this other thing happened around the same time Teco was having this conversation about how could they invest in more minority-led startups. And so I decided to take the charge and came up with a proposal for a pre-seed fund specifically for minority-led startups. And I was able to get a Black-owned bank here in Baltimore, Harbor Bank, their CDC, which is, F, which is a CDFI, to put up half the money to do the first pilot year run of it. Uh, we did that in 2017. The board of Teco actually approved it on Obama's last day in office. Um, we ran that program for a year and it was really successful. And then fast forward to 2019, it was later revamped into what is now known as the Builder Fund and the state of Maryland put a million dollars in the state budget to make it a standalone program here in the state. It is the first state-backed pre-seed fund specifically for women and minority-led startups, right? And I tell that story to say, when you speak up and when you stand up for what you feel is right, there can be amazing outcomes. And that's one thing that we're also getting from Alicia's conversation today. You know, when we come together, when we work hard, when we put our minds together and we're very thoughtful about how to address the issues, you know, corporations will support, corporations will listen. You know, our voices do matter. And this is just another example of that. Alicia, we're, we are so thankful that you were on the show today and just so grateful for the stand and the leadership that you're taking, uh, not just at PayPal, but in other organizations that you're supporting and helping. Um, we talked about a lot today, a lot, and I, and I know this show is going to be so helpful for listeners. We talked about, and as Mac just shared, the power in speaking your truth as a leader, as an employee, as a company. We talked about supporting black employees and creating pathways for tech jobs. You know, you highlighted the fact that the digital revolution is here now and the fact that you are even bringing your mom, your grandmother on, on board with Venmo, which I actually use all the time. Um, and the need to just continue making sure that uh, our community is staying abreast of the technology that is out there. We also talked about the three amazing areas that PayPal is deploying the $530 million, both mm-hmm. internally and externally. I know, let's say it one more time. $530 million. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, we talked about just even with the grant today uh, that it's clo- closed and how many businesses and the types of businesses that are in need of support to continue this economic uh, growth. And I think my last point is we talked in, Everything we talked about is really a movement. It's an error. It's an opportunity for not just economic change, but change in how we treat each other, change in how we support one another, change in how we show up for one another. I think the story that you shared with your GM and how she was able to help you move forward, <clears throat> excuse me, is so powerful, right? And so I want to leave our listeners with a change is here and you will be part of it. So, Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing what you're doing on the leadership side of PayPal. And we hope to have you back to talk about the success. Thank you so much. Thank you for the platform, the opportunity. For our listeners, check us out on getfoundgetfunded.com. We will have an overhauled new site up soon. And we look forward to posting more resources for you. 